Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, December 16th. Time for trucking technology and efficiency. We're going to open up the phone lines right now, so start dialing. Jump in early. The phone lines might get busy. They usually do. 855 950 3835 is the number to join us. Uh, it's kind of a free-for-all. Anything goes today for the most part. Uh, I've got a few things I'll be talking about. Joel is with me. Uh, I believe John's on an airplane today, so he's not going to be able to make it. But I think Henry might be. So we'll uh, we'll get that all figured out. And uh, we're going to jump in and get started Joel, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. How are you? Good. Is uh, is Henry joining us today? Do you know? Last I talked to him, he had doctor's appointment, and he said he'd be with us a little bit later. Got it. Okay, so we'll we'll keep an eye out for him. Uh, what's uh, what's new and exciting in your world? What's on your mind this week? Uh, just working on the fuel mileage thing as normal. Hey, Kevin, I'm getting a lot of feedback here. Oh, hold on one second. Let me make some adjustments. Try that again. Okay, how's that? Better. Okay, good. Go ahead. You still have me? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so so just working on fuel mileage. Um, I'm kind of back into my normal, typical duty cycle that I run. I had run the load board for quite a while so I could run some heavier loads to gather some information on on uh, what happens when I pull heavy weight at higher speeds. Um, I'd done a demonstration run out to Salt Lake City, Utah with a ballasted load where we were at 70, 78,500 pounds and had multiple different drivers in the truck. So the, the first 15,000 miles, um, I was kind of really pushing the truck and testing it. And over that first 15,000 miles of not so ideal conditions, we done 9.3 wow. miles to the gallon. Um, so I just started on my, my furniture stuff where I do the multiple deliveries and I left Ohio on Sunday. I'm setting down in South Padre Island, Texas, making a delivery here this afternoon so I've run about 2,200 miles at 11 and a half miles a gallon, um, and I'm really, really pleased with it because we had some rough weather in Mississippi and Louisiana. Um, I had two days this week so far that were over 12 miles a gallon, and then um, a couple days we were right at 11. I never dropped under 11 for the week, so wow. um, really, really, really pleased with that. And I, I don't have a ultra aero trailer on this either i've got a belly skirt and that's it no lift axle on the trailer yet or anything like that so i'm expecting as the truck continues to break in and i get some real aero on the trailer that those numbers are going to improve significantly and um, that's got me pretty excited for what the future holds here that's going to be really interesting to watch you know the the 9.3 under the conditions was i, I think just outstanding and you know, every time you post, somebody's going to mention your speed or your weight or whatever. But if you look at what you were doing during that time, 
uh, you really did put it through some of the worst conditions for fuel economy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and by design, because, you know, I, I know I get beat up by that every time I post something, you know, you've always got the jokers on there, oh, but your speed or your weight or whatnot. So, you know, we, we track this very, very carefully. Um, my partner in the back office, he is breaking all that data apart. So we're going to see things and weight ranges and, and, you know, weighted averages, how we done under these certain conditions at this speed with this weight. And we're going to tear that all apart and, and we're going to put it out there for everybody to see. So we're going to have a whole lot of detailed information. We ran virtually every region of the country um, up to and above 85 mile an hour um, at, at times. Now we did run some slower stuff so we could benchmark some things, but uh, overall we really pushed the truck hard and we pushed it before it was even really broke in. And, you know, we were still able to eclipse nine miles a gallon pretty handily with it. So uh, real excited about that. That's outstanding. And to now see numbers like 11, which is still all real world stuff. You're still out moving freight. You're dealing with weather. So the, those numbers are really encouraging, no doubt. I, I do have to correct something, though. Come on. Nobody delivers freight to South Padre Island. You're down there hanging out at the beach. <laughs> I would love to be. I'm telling you what, I'm definitely coming back down here. This is a this is a pretty cool area. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no kidding. Um, nobody delivers freight there. I've got a. I, that's a great thing about this furniture that I deliver. You know, it's blanket wrapped. It's on the the upper end of high scale, I guess. And so I I, I get to go to all these vacation areas. I've got. Lake Havasu and Palm Springs on this trip and Napa. And so it's kind of, it's kind of cool to, to be able to get to all these places and, and check them out. So, yeah. and, and not have to pay through the nose to do it. Right. <laughs> Definitely. Well, you get paid to do it. You can't beat that. That's a hell of a yeah. deal. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, did you see the, uh, we're going to de be dealing with new emission standards for 2027 again? Yeah, you know, I we all kind of have that bad taste in our mouth from the first uh, emissions go around. I think we've really got a handle on how this stuff works now. I don't think it's going to be near as upsetting to the industry with, with the internal combustion engines to meet these uh, newer emission standards going forward. Um, there was a post out in social media that said something in, in regards to, oh, how did we live happily before 1985 and the emission standards or something when they really started to roll out. And I went back through to the EPA website and it shows how much of a reduction there's been in, you know, particulate matter, carbon dioxide and, and all of that. And then they have some estimations in regards to, um, air pollution deaths caused per year. And I mean, even if you cut those numbers in half, it's still a very significant number. And, you know, ignorance is bliss, I guess, when when uh, you set, think about the supposed good old days. And, you know, when you remember how it was in Ohio, like I lived on Route 20 that goes through Northern Ohio and every little town had 14 stoplights and the truck exhaust just hung in those towns. At noon, it smelled, you know, like a diesel engine and it was, 
you don't have any of that anymore. All that stuff is gone. So I know we like to beat up on EPA because some regulations have cost us a little bit of money. Um, there's no doubt about it. They're fairly expensive, but we do have more efficient engines nowadays. And, you know, the industry starting to take some responsibility to help clean the environment up a little bit. I am myself not a tree hugger by any stretch of the imagination. And I know people's heads want to explode when I talk about environmental responsibility, but if you can do something cleaner and still make money, we should do it as an industry. We shouldn't be making a mess out there and expecting everybody else to clean it up. I, I, so that's I, just, just my thought on it. I, you know, I, I might even call myself a tree hugger. I, I kind of like the environment. I like clean air to breathe and clean water. So I, I, I'm definitely not against this. I, I'm against the way they screwed it up so bad in the beginning. It took us a decade to recover. I, I don't think this will be a big deal. One of the interesting things I saw that they're working on um, Zero W twenty weight oil for Class Eight trucks. Yeah, I I played with some of that ultra thin oil, not quite zero, um, uh, down to like three weight. <laughs> it's it's not quite zero, but was very close. And I never had any problems with it. And that was running some some older technology. So I fully expect that we will see zero W twenty and. You know, when we get to it, I think we're going to see longer engine life and, and obviously better fuel efficiency because of it. So I'm definitely looking forward to the to the newer lubricants that are coming out for sure. You know, we, we've talked about it before, and there there isn't any reason not to think that we'll, we'll follow the same path as cars did. And, and we're almost there. So you're right. I'm not nearly as worried about this next round. Um Cars were a disaster in the 70s with the first rounds of emissions. They were all junk for about a decade. And now you look at cars, and I'm not even sure why there's a hood latch. Hell, I don't even open my hood anymore on cars. It's like nothing ever needs work done anymore. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, it's definitely not like... Uh the car I had in high school, I had an old 72 GMC Sprint and you were under the hood every freaking week doing yeah. something to it to keep the damn thing running. And, and, you know, my daughter's got this little Nissan that she buzzes around on and I, she probably couldn't open the hood if her life depended on it. Probably. And not. so, yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, yeah. Technology is much, much better on the internal combustion engines. And, um, I, you know, I think it's going to be real interesting. Um, we keep making strides on internal combustion and, uh, you know, I, I, I love it that it keeps the battery electric people honest. I, I, I get it. A battery electric has a lot of advantages to it. There's no doubt that at some point that's where we're probably going to be 100%, but it, it's a ways off. And so we're, we're still relevant with internal combustion. And um, it's important that we keep up on both technologies. I, I know I'm a little hard on uh, the battery electric. I'm definitely not opposed to it I, I love the technology but um you know you got to be that devil's advocate i guess and try and point out the weaknesses and flaws as you see them so you can actually focus on them and fix what's what's really wrong well uh, along those lines this is the problem i have with battery electric and you know how i feel about the technology i i love it here's what i hate um, mm -hmm. They just announced another $2.8 billion worth of grants to move to electric, $40,000 per truck, heavy truck, 
30% credits for charging stations. This is the problem I have. It's not a free market. The government's going to screw the pooch on this like they always do. Uh, we are cleaning up internal combustion engines incredibly. We're going to clean them up again. If electric is going to happen, it should happen because it makes sense, not because it's forced like this. I 100% agree. Um, let, let the market um, determine if and when, you know, something is viable. Every time the government tries to do this, you're 100% right. It, it tends to screw it up. Um, I, I think there's going to have to be some government involvement, but, uh, you know, the, the little or the better, really. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of the government getting involved in this stuff. You know, here's part of the problem with it. You know, we need to support small business. Big business is fine on its own, but all of these things basically benefit big business. You know, the, the big fleets can afford to say, sure, let's, let's put 100 electric trucks into service. It's no big deal for them. It's not going to bankrupt them, no matter how much of a disaster it is. And then they get, you know, millions and millions of our dollars. And a, a small fleet or a small owner operator can't take that kind of risk. That, that could put them out of business. So they're not going to get these tax credits. Tax credits go into all the big companies. I, I don't know why we keep rewarding no. companies that are so big they couldn't go away if we tried to make them go away. I uh, I 100% agree. Um, you know, my brother's been looking at this, wanting to stay current with the technology and keeps thinking about, yeah, I want to put a I want to put a electric truck into service and, um, he can't do it. I mean, we've run the numbers and run the numbers and run the numbers and, you know, without somebody just giving you the truck and installing the infrastructure for you, there's just, you can't make it work yet in our area. Um, you know, I, I look, there are certain applications where it makes a ton of sense. Garbage trucks, school buses, final mile stuff, all that stuff makes sense. Um, you know, and, and maybe the government has a role there to help those specific um, uh, duty cycles out. But what, you know, they're giving them all this money, and uh, hey, boy, yeah, I don't, I, I don't I know, don't see a it's government tough. role there at all. Like, like you just said, if the technology makes sense, and it does seem to make more sense in the early stages, with everything we look at, the stop, start, the duty cycle, all of that, okay. If it makes sense, then it makes sense. We don't need to take our tax money and give it to those companies. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't disagree. Um, yeah, I, you know, I understand the risk at, from a, from a business perspective of trying these two newer technologies all by yourself. That that can be a little tough at times. But you're you're right. If it doesn't if it doesn't stand on its own, you know, maybe the government shouldn't be involved. Period. Um, uh, I'm kind of torn a little bit there. I, sometimes I think, man, eh, maybe a little bit of government money wouldn't hurt, but I guess that's a slippery slope too. Yeah. Yeah. So one more point on this, we've talked about it before, but I just read another interesting article on, uh, how much electricity these charging stations are going to need. Uh, just listen to some of these comparisons by 2030, which is not far off at all. 2030, a typical highway gas station 
will need as much power as your favorite major league sports stadium. By 2035, that could climb to the level of a small town. We're talking about a single gas station on the interstate. By 2045, a simple truck stop could demand as much power as an automotive manufacturing plant or an aluminum refinery. You know, I, I, I get that there weren't gas stations once and we built all those out and we didn't have power stations at one time. And we built out an entire electrical grid, but we did it before you had the crazy government regulations around trying to produce power these days. You can't build anything anymore. Yeah, you know, unless we go hard to nuclear, I, I don't know how they're going to make all this happen. I, the, and, the, and maybe they'll do that. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it, it seems to me like you're right. We either go to nuclear because solar and wind aren't going to do it. And if they could, we would need so much battery storage capability that that is going to be a disaster with all the heavy metals and exotic metals and chemicals and disposal and if we tried to depend on enough batteries to make wind and solar possible, that doesn't look like it's going to work. And if it did, it'd be probably way worse for the environment than what we're doing right now. We're not going to go nuclear. And the only option left then is, oh, let's go dig up all that oil and natural gas we stopped digging up so we can run these power plants. What's our other choice? No, I, I agree. Um, you know, when you bring up the environmental impact of it, I'd seen some studies where they look at an electric truck versus a diesel truck, and they're using 5.7 miles per gallon for whatever reason. And I think that's the totality of all commercial vehicles, heavy haul, you know, vocational and everything. They use 5.7 miles per gallon, and they say, you know, after five years, the environmental impact of a battery electric is less with today's current emissions. So if you take the next step emissions for internal combustion, which basically cuts everything in half the way it looks to me, and then you go from 5.7 to say 12 miles per gallon, I, I still think you have a hard case of even making the, 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 the case that battery electric's better for the environment. I, I don't think it is. You know, I, right. I, 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 yeah, I'm kind of torn there, you know, in certain circumstances, yes, like we said, the short stuff, the final mile, I think over in Europe, it'll probably be a little more popular than it is here because, you know, they, they don't go as far between major cities, a little more congested. Um, it, it probably makes some sense if they can produce enough electricity. Um, so these other technologies, the hydrogen and electric and all that, that's going to be interesting to see how that develops as well. But, uh, I'm, I'm still liking the internal combustion engine running on diesel fuel. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, um, we always get uh, deeper into these conversations than I think I should have brought Henry into comment on all this as well. Hey, Henry, welcome back. Hey, how are you, Kevin? I'm Good. sitting here in the doctor's office, so I might have to jump off, but... Well, there you it's, go. Um, interesting yeah. when you talk yeah. about the electrics and their fuel mileage and and where we are. I know my trip this week, lighter going up to, from Laredo to Charlotte with oh, about 48 to 50,000, one axle up, old 11.5 going up, running 65, and then came back. And I had a heavier load than normal and was up at uh, 
79,000 and managed to pull a 10 the first day and a 10-5 the last leg coming back in here with good weight on it. So the electric's got a way to compete with that when they start talking about that 5.9 or whatever model we get on. Yeah, one of the other articles I had here that in a sense shocked me a little bit, but I think all the disruption in, in our country, in our economy with COVID and everything else going on may play a part in this, but NACFI's last report shows no improvement in fuel economy right now at the fleet level, zero, it just flatlined. Um, which is pretty incredible to me because the last couple of years, yep, you two, to, since you're both here, to use you two as examples, it, it's been pretty incredible. Last couple of years, there was a, just a couple of years ago, I thought we had kind of topped out. What are we going to do next for fuel economy? We were looking around, I didn't see much. And now with the downspeeding and some of the other technologies you guys are working on, mm-hmm. there have been some pretty big improvements in the last couple of years, except it doesn't seem like as an industry that's happened. I think what we're seeing in the industry, um, when freight rates were so strong, everybody sped their trucks up the bigger fleets. And I think that's, that's why point. we're flat. Yep. I think, I, I think if you adjust for speed, um, we're, we're probably up. I, I'm, I'm almost certain that we are, but, um, everybody mm-hmm. was running faster to retain drivers and, uh, to move freight while rates were high. Um, so we have that part of it. Um, also when you look at the battery electric stuff, you know, I, I just all over Tesla about releasing the weight of their truck. So, you know, Henry had a really nice load coming back, um, right at 80,000 pounds. I will guarantee you that battery electric would not have had the same payload on that trailer. Um, even as a day cab, they would have not gotten much as much cargo on the trailer. So the actual cargo efficiency of battery electric, when we start to figure that out, I personally don't think it's going to be all that impressive for, you know, stuff that we're bumping up right against 80,000 pounds like Henry was. Um, You know, even with them giving us another 2,000 pounds on the electric side, I still don't think their cargo efficiency is going to be all that impressive. The overall efficiency looks pretty good, but, you know, when you start just looking at cargo, it's not all that that impressive for sure. well, Kevin, if they, if they really want to get efficiency and eliminate the so-called driver shortage at the same time, to me, if they really wanted efficiency out on the interstate, we should be pulling two 53-foot trailers with a much heavier weight, but make it to eliminate the driver shortage, make it that you have to have six years of clean license before you're able to do it. And if you lose that clean license, you can no longer do it. That will also improve safety on the highway because now you want to keep that license because it's worth something. I agree. I 100% that's, agree with that. You know, and and that's not all that different from the system. You know, I was in for years with FedEx. It, in uh, When I was in Northeast Ohio, we pulled triples on the turnpike only. You had that. It wasn't a six-year clean license, but I think it might have been two or three if I remember right. They had some pretty strict qualifications for you to be able to do that. And then when I moved to Florida, um, on the Florida Turnpike between Miami and Orlando, we pulled 45-foot doubles. Uh, same thing again, harder qualifications. It, it And, 
You know, a lot of the owner operators didn't want to do it. They said the extra weight wasn't worth the money. And I ran the numbers over and over. It absolutely was. I mean, you could make the argument all day long that the extra they paid you more than made up for the cost on the truck. It was more profitable to run the triples or the long doubles than it than it was to run the standard trailers. Well, where everybody goes off the tracks on that, Kevin, is right away they want to say, well, it's not paying double. Well, it okay. doesn't cost you double to pull twin exactly. trailers either. Exactly. Of course it doesn't pay double. It, it, nobody would make out except the, the owner-operator, and that's not how business has to work. It's insane to think that we pay double. <laughs> no. It'd be nice sometimes, but, you know. The, the other thing you were talking about a little bit there was, with them giving grants towards your larger businesses and all that. And it reminds me of a question I got asked one time and they, I had two trucks I was running at the time and they were like, how's a small two truck operation? Like you compete with these big fleets. And that was a victim question. I remember I looked at the person that asked the question, it was at Louisville. And I said, the question should have been, how does the big fleets compete with a carrier like me? I don't have a terminal to pay for. I don't have the overhead of management. I don't have rookies tearing up my equipment. I do better on fuel. My equipment lasts longer. I get better service. I can get to charge a higher rate because of that. I said, granted, they get discounts on their trucks and their equipment and their insurance rates, but they need them if they want to compete with me. Yeah. You know, I've written about this and, and talked about this so many times over the years, this idea that, oh, the big carriers are just going to put owner operators out of business. I, I've heard it before. We're hearing it again. Every time the rates go down, it's, it's they're, oh, they're going to force owner operators out of business. I just had a, a debate with somebody on Twitter about this because the guy claimed, you know, he he. I posted a video where a guy had been an owner-operator for two years. He was selling his truck. He couldn't make it. It was a W-9. I'm not even going to get into all the mistakes the guy probably made. <laughs> when I posted it, somebody immediately said, well, it's all the government regulation putting small guys out of business. I'm pretty big on less no. government regulation, but you can't blame the government on owner-operators going out of business right now. That, that is not what happened. These are people that don't know how to run a business. They don't understand their cost. But as far as the competing thing goes, I, I've been writing about it and talking about it for years. My answer to that question, how do you compete with big carriers? I have two of them. One, don't. Why compete with them? Go do the stuff they can't do. Go do the, the loads that or they suck that. at. Uh, those are the loads that always pay better anyway. Go build individual relationships that big fleets will never be able to build. Go get, you know, killer and fuel economy that fleets will never be able to touch you. Keep your maintenance cost under control way better than a fleet ever could. And you're right. Once you start doing all those things, the question really becomes, they can't compete with me. So and this... I I have the perfect example of this, you know, breaking away from, from my brother. You know, they're doing things that fleets do nowadays, that bigger fleets do. They're, they are running off of, um, you know, the, the economies of scale. That That's that's what they're starting to transition into. And it, it's all about, um, you know, HR, and it, it's more about accounting than it actually is trucking. And when a fleet gets to that size, it's very difficult to 
manage efficiency. You know, if you've got a, a fleet of four or five trucks, just your force of personality a lot of times can can get the most out of a driver and, and really keep everything efficient and, and running right. Um, once you get uh, 25 or 30 trucks, you just don't have that working for you. And it, the bigger you get, the harder it is to control efficiency. And Henry's exactly right. At that point, you need them discounts to survive as a fleet. You just have to have them. And, you know, I, I walked out of a fleet situation and as an owner operator now, I get to do so many things that are, that just drive my efficiency through the roof. I don't need a discount and that, you know, it's nice when you can get them, but do I need it at 11 and a half miles a gallon? Hell no. You know, and these guys that are going broke as owner operators, Kevin, I think you've got a very good point. They're just, they're kind of out here for the cool factor. I think a lot of times, Oh, I'm an owner operator and I got a W nine and I'm a real live cowboy and you know, whatever the thought process is, they're not doing their homework. They're not looking at it in terms of how do I be, as efficient as I possibly can be, you know, and actually run this as a business. So when, when you do your homework, when you concentrate on efficiency as an owner operator or a very small fleet, you're going to make it no matter what the market does. And you're exactly right. Do the things that the big fleets don't want to do. They want to run this dock to dock stuff. That's, you know, within 250 to 500 miles of home base so they can have drivers home every weekend and, and all this thing. Uh, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of other specialty things out there that pay a whole lot better and, and you can do really well. And, and on top of that, the, the better paying freight's usually the latest too. Exactly. Oddly. I, I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you say we uh, we take some phone calls? Sure. Good. All right. If I have to jump off, it's because the doctor called me in, Kevin. Got it. Well, uh, you, you know, that this show's all about the real world. We've, we've got people out there doing this stuff every day, and I appreciate <laughs> it when you guys take time to join us here on the air. So we'll work with those kind of issues around scheduling, no problem. Let's, uh, phone lines are open. We're going to start on the call. So you want to jump in now, 855-950-3835. We're going to get started in Alabama. Paul, welcome. Howdy. What's on your um, mind today? I totally agree. Well, lots of things now. It always happens. <laughs> I totally agree with what Henry said about pulling two trailers instead of one. It's just way more efficient. Your fuel mileage will go down when you tow two trailers, but your ton miles per gallon will go up. Yeah. Good, so. good point. And you know, that's how the, it's much uh, better than the, the railroad okay. measures everything that way. Ton miles moved for fuel efficiency, not just, you know, per mile. It's, it's how much freight were we able to move with that amount of fuel? Yeah, because some some parts of the transport industry in this country are so inefficient it smack your head yeah. into the wall because it's crazy some of the things that happen in this country. So, uh, <clears throat> so last night when I pulled into the Kia plant at West Point, I glanced over to the side and it's like, oh, there's a cab over. And uh, I had a... 
it kind of surprised me on the length of the wheelbase because it was a cab over and then it had this big box behind it and then it still had five feet of gap between the back of that box and the trailer well this morning it was still sitting there but i i can't stop in the driveway that you can't stop there so keep on but it must be a hydrogen truck it's a hyundai and on the side of it it's got eight the big h and then two after it and you can see the tanks on the back of it but it was a hyundai hydrogen truck huh interesting so hyundai makes the truck that was the truck manufacturer Uh uh-huh yep and it was a cab over it's a korean huh yep yeah i put a picture on facebook i tagged you in it so Uh, what's Hmm. facebook Oh, you know that propaganda media <laughs> oh, yeah. monitoring crap that we use. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that 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 thing uh, that every time I post, they keep telling me it's misinformation and deleting it. That place. Yeah, that's it. You got it. One. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Got um, it. I moved over to uh, Twitter. If, they on, they only ban liberals now. It's kind of funny. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so if they're using 5.7 miles to a gallon for an average, I'm only 0.1 of a mile per gallon below the average on this ugly thing that I'm running with the aerodynamic challenges and weight challenges. Yeah. My load I had the other day where I was really close to meeting Joel, I was actually two and a half miles away from him when I went to the plant on Tuesday night. But I didn't think he won't be woken up at eleven o'clock at night, so <laughs> <laughs> You no, probably would have had a hard time getting that thing down where I was parked. <laughs> yeah, well I Googled Earth and it's like oh, I'd have to stop on the road, but it's like, yeah, it's nearly eleven o'clock. He's probably sleeping, so yeah. And um and then and then I heard you on Nemo in the morning, so I knew you were busy, so that's fine. I'll catch up with you one day. So mm-hmm. um but I that I, I put a big load on the other day, and I, I was legal on my tractor, but only just. I was 48,420 on my tractor. And people that can do math, they'll be able to work this out. I was 1,000 pounds over on my trailer, but it fit, didn't shift. So. Gotcha. Yeah. So. That's all I got today. I'll let someone else have a turn. All right. That's all we need. Thanks for the call. Phone lines are open. Kevin. Jump in. Go ahead. Kevin, he brought up that the doubles of it being more more efficient pulling the two big trailers. And it's also better than platooning because you only have one truck. Yeah, You know, and... I know we can get some pretty tight gaps on platooning and that'll probably get better, but it's going to be pretty tough to get a platoon truck as close as you can get two trailers with nothing but a converter dolly in between them. And you're right, we're only using one truck to do that. So uh, we should start looking at more how much freight are we moving for the fuel being used? You know, one of the problems, we already see it, it's going to get worse they want to push the electric agenda through. That's all there is to it. We can see it. They're forcing it. They're going to screw it up. And it's so easy to manipulate all of these numbers. 
you know, all they have to do is use that 5.7 miles to the gallon. Nobody understands how wrong that is. Um, a couple things where nobody's ever talking about. Uh, in all of these articles and all of the discussions, I never see the cost of electricity. It, I, how do we know right. what it is right now? Even well, right now, and I, it can only get worse. I, I don't think there's any way the cost of electricity is going to get better if we have to produce all these batteries or all these new technologies to produce the electricity, or we have to build new plants. The cost is outrageous. Um, the more demand we put on electricity, the more the price is going to go up. It, but my my fear with this is it's so easy to manipulate the numbers because. When what we're looking at here is the difference between diesel fuel and electric, and both of those prices are going to become so volatile that you can predict anything you want and use any number you want. Nobody can argue with you. Well, Kevin, that always goes back to that old saying, figures never lie and liars always figure. Yeah, there's exactly. And this is a case where it is so it's kind of like. It makes me crazy when people or politicians talk about the tax code. Well, this will save this many people this much. Bullshit. You don't know that. The, the tax code is so damn complicated, they can say whatever they want. And it's it, virtually impossible to debate it. And it's the same thing here. This equation is so complicated, we don't even know what half the numbers are we should be using. I, has anybody seen yeah. a number on what this electric truck should cost to run per mile? Why don't we know that yet? If they do, they no, tell I, you just the electricity part of it. But, you know, the other figure they mess with that is like the crash rate. It, it, it can be lower and higher at the same time. There can be more accidents, but it's less per 100 million miles traveled. Like one of the worst years was like 1975 on that. But, you know, it's just all what figure you want to use on this stuff, right? Exactly. Joel, did you have something there? Yeah, you know, if you took just a quarter of the money that the government's going to force into the electric truck market and we just built big drop lots and improved the highway system for doubles, uh, you'd, I think you'd have probably a far bigger impact uh, a positive mm -hmm. impact on the environment and the driver situation and highway safety um, than what they're going to do, you know, force feeding us the electric trucks. Yeah, good point. I, 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 I honestly believe that. I, I, you know, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. This is very easy for us to do. Um, it's it's pretty easy to build parking lots and build converter dollies and and um, you know, train some drivers in in comparison to all the all the research and development that's going on with the electric trucks. That really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, one of the I, I hey think guys, one of the best I, examples I, I got a jump. We should look more at is the Ohio Turnpike with its service plazas. Why don't we just allow that on interstates? We'd be able to build big service plazas, big parking lots with plenty of exchange for trailers, and I, it would solve so many problems. Yeah, New, New York Thruway does it. I believe Massachusetts Turnpike does it. Um, you know, it, it, get the interstates ramped up to to run the long doubles, and yeah. let's uh, bump up the the weight. We'd have to obviously slow the trucks down, but we probably should do that anyway in regards to safety. And um, 
you know, the guys that want to be home every night, you could have a job as a cartage company running out to the big drop lots, shuttling the 53-foot trailers around to get them, you know, loaded and unloaded and bring them back to the lots, and then the highway guys could hook up to the doubles and go. We, we could solve um, emissions. We would cut emissions way down. We would cut fuel use way down. We could work to solve the parking problem everybody screams about with this, and driver turnover could get better. Four big issues in trucking, one solution. Absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. All right, let's, uh, let's get to some calls. We're going to go to Montana. Wayne, welcome to the program. Good morning, gentlemen. Enjoy uh, the uh, dialogue you got going on there. Pretty good stuff. Good. What's on your Can mind you hear today? hear me okay? I'm looking at a gear change. I've got a 2013 Freightliner with the uh, DD-15. It's got a 10-speed and uh, 342 gears. I like to run in the low to mid-60s. I would be looking for a recommendation. Who wants to tackle this one? Henry, you're the uh, you're our Freightliner guy. You want to take this one first? Uh-oh. What happened? Oh, you know what? We lost Henry. I bet the doctor called him in. <laughs> doctor must have called him in. Uh, yeah, I'll take a I'll take a crack at this. Doctor. So Go ahead. Understanding, yeah, understanding what ten speed you have in there, so we know what the what the um, the low gear ratio is, so we know where the startability is going to be. Um, okay. My own personal opinion that. on this. My own personal opinion on this, just as a general rule of thumb, when you have an overdrive transmission um, without crawler gears, they've all got. A very similar um, first gear, and I don't think that we should step under 2.47 rear axle ratio. Uh, and and I'm I know I'm a little bit conservative on this, but I, I just hate to see somebody re-ratio a truck, save a little bit of fuel, and then they're going to have to spend it putting a clutch in the truck or yeah. you know putting a drive line in the truck. To me, it makes no sense to overstep yourself on this. Um, yeah. If you're going to want to get really wild with it, then you're going to have to find a, another transmission with a, with better startability. But probably 247 is aggressive as you're going to want to go. Joel, I don't I don't know yeah, that, that I would I would call that too conservative. I just think that makes a lot of sense. I, I have always been a little nervous going you know below 250. So 247 right there. Um, if we were to look at it this way. So instead of comparing what you've got now to say, well, what if I pushed it all the way to a 220 something or uh, don't make that comparison, make the comparison of how much difference is there going to be between a 247 and a 228 or whatever. The difference is so, so tiny at that point. I'm not sure we could measure it. And why take the risk for that little bit of extra gain if there's any there even? No, I, I agree. Don't, don't, uh, don't shoot yourself in the foot by getting too aggressive on this. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Um, Wayne, what do you think? We've got Henry back too, so let's. Uh, why 
while we've got him back, let's bring him in and well, let him come yep. Yeah, I, I, I was looking in that. Go ahead. Uh, Henry, did you hear the question or had you already hung up? I might have hung up, but I assume we're talking about gear ratios, and you got to make a pretty big jump in the gear ratios to make it worthwhile what it costs usually to change it if that's where we were going. It, we we were kind of. Wayne, why don't you give them the uh, scenario again? Well, I've got uh, 342s now with a big single drive 10 speed. And I was, I've been looking either between like that 242, 47 what, area to a 64. What, what year? So, what engine? So what? It's, not, it's, it's a 2013 Freightliner uh, with a DD15. So Wayne, if, if you're running a regular ten speed, you're 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 a point seven three overdrive with a three forty two, you're identical to a two point five zero if you were direct. So that's not a big leap at all. Like that that's frog hairs, the difference that'd be in RPMs. Okay, so right now I had uh, I'm not in my truck, but I've looked at it and it's at 65, which is about as fast as I run, when 1,400, my speedometer's off about a mile. Tenth gear. Right. So then I would be running uh, at that speed in ninth gear at 65. Is, is that what you're telling me? Oh, you want to put the... that? That'd be too far. So... If you have a 10 speed in there right now? Yes. So 0.73 overdrive with a 241. My gosh, that puts you way down into like, what, 190s, 180s? I got to get my calculator out. 2.41 times 0.73. You'd be 175 overall in high gear. That's wouldn't even be much use for high gear anymore. Now, a lot of times with the with well, the 10-speed, in essence, we're almost turning them into 9-speeds. That that top gear becomes, right. I mean, unless you're bobtailing or we're empty on level ground, it's almost worthless. We're flying. Right, so essentially what you've got to be careful of, you're going to pick up the efficiency of running in direct versus running in overdrive, which in a dual countershaft transmission tends to be a little bit more than the newer single countershaft. So maybe you pick up 3% because you're going to be running in direct at the same speeds. So this is why you've got to be very careful on that startability. If you give up startability and you have a drive shaft or clutch failure, you're going to eat up everything that you were saving replacing that so you know can this be done it absolutely can be done um like i said you, you definitely i don't think want to go any more aggressive than 247 if at all and you know don't expect that you're going to go from a, a seven mile a gallon truck to an 11 mile a gallon truck on a ratio change here you're not even going to make it to an eight mile per gallon probably truck. gain right you, you well, might gain three percent or so and for what it's worth, the, one of the Cascadias I drove back in the past was a 342 geared 
13 speed, but same overall overdrive ratio. And I managed to get that truck into the eights back hey, in the day. Hey, Wayne, another, another way to look at this, um, what else haven't you done that is proven to improve fuel economy? Are you at the end of the list? Is this the last thing you could do? Well, yeah, because I run a step deck and I, I you know, some, some of my loads are fairly aerodynamic and then uh, my heavy loads are bad. So, so every bit just, Every bit as bad as Paul's. Just off the top of my head, do you have a flow below? I do not. See, there's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. You, you know, flow below 1500 bucks or whatever they are, they work, they're simple, they have no real maintenance cost, and we pick up every bit as much on a flow below as you would with a gear change here. At, at like one well, that, fifth that the cost. Step deck, though. It'd probably work really good on a step deck the way it would kick the air around the front of that where it drops down. I would think. I know uh, Mark Hagstead. He's over there on nine plus. He's running it on his. Uh, out of curiosity, Wayne, when you're climbing a hill, how far are you letting that DD15 go down before you grab another gear? Uh, probably 1,200. Keep going. Let it go all the way to 1,000 and try to keep it under 1,400. DD-15's happy right up to 1,400, but you go past 1,400, it gets very unhappy. Right. And all the, tw- all the torque is in the bottom. That, that engine of that year made its max torque at 975. Hey, Wayne. And it's almost a straight line through 1,400. Got, got another question for you. What, what's the rolling resistance on your drive tires? Oh, I don't know. That's, that's, that's my They're, point. Uh, so what I would do if I were you, really, right. um, I would go back to the basics. Let's go through this whole truck and make sure you've maximized fuel economy everywhere else. Overhead set, charger coolers not leaking. Yeah. Um, have we explored the possibility of a good tune for fuel economy, the flow below, the fleet air filters? I mean, we the rolling resistance on the tires. There, there's so many other places you could be picking low-hanging fruit instead of taking a big risk on, yeah. a, you know, a five or $6,000 change. Well, I, I mean, I've got the... Um, uh, air filter you know i'm just keeping up on my maintenance on your head you know i've slowed down as per your recommendation which which helped me half a mile um well, the flow blow was something i never thought about my tires are fairly new um you know, they're there, Michelin's, but there, uh, there are still plenty of tires out there, including Michelin's, that brand new. They have a rolling resistance of 140, which will cost you about four tenths of a mile per gallon over what's possible. So really, my, my point much, was, yeah. you, you don't know wow. that number. Mm-hmm. We, we've got to go back and look at all these well, other possibilities for picking up fuel economy rather than look at a big, expensive, risky that we, we you know, you give up the startability and the next thing you know, like Joel says, you're putting too much strain on your clutch and your drive line. Right. And 
Um, I, I am not against gear changes. I, I have helped thousands of people change the gears in their truck. It's just almost always the last thing I, I look for. Uh, unless we get a truck that's so, well, so screwed up with the gear ratio that we know we can make big improvements. Yeah. But that, that's not the case here. Okay, well, the flow below is certainly something I never thought about on that on truck. Yeah, it's... Uh, certainly looking, if that makes, if, I didn't realize you would get that much of an efficiency. So. Yeah, a couple tens, hey, and, Kevin, and that's all we're going to get out of a gear change, realistically. That, when you're climbing Kevin. a hill, let that thing pull down to a, close to a 1,000 before you grab another gear. There you go. Okay. So, uh... So, it, so Not to I, I say got, that a, a, a gear change isn't the way to go. Um, I, I'm also I'm going to cut you loose. I'm having a lot of problems with the volume on your line. It's so low. And then when I crank up the volume, I get blasted by Henry and Joel. So um, I, I would I, I would just go back and go through that truck front to back. Let's figure out what else we can do. Um, the the 10 speed also makes that gear change a, a little trickier. Uh, you know, if you've got a 13 speed, we, we don't lose both those gears at the top. We can still use that first overdrive. With a 10 speed, you almost lose that, that last gear. Let's go to Texas this time. Tim, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. It's been a while. It's been a really long time. Been texting you, messaging you, but it's been a while since I can get a hold of you. Well, so, great to have you here uh, today. What's hey, Joel. Hey. A uh, couple things, just real quick on the gear since we were on that. Um, I have a D Deck 4, and uh, the star is kind of aligned on it. I lost the power divider, so we upgraded. It's also a car hauler. Um, so we upgraded this thing. Had 307s in it with a 13, and we dropped her down to 264. Um, she runs in direct real nice. I mean, she holds exactly at 1500. Um, at 65. So, um, yeah, that last year, 13 is completely useless now, obviously. Even even bobtailing can't use it. So on a 10-speed, I don't know. Well, I was just going to um, say that, it, I, you know, the 264 was kind of where we found the bottom without getting too worried about startability. You know, there, it, it doesn't yeah, always it, meet the calculation perfectly, but in the real world, we don't see a lot of trouble with 264 and a reasonably good driver. It, it's it, If we start going lower than that in the number, higher in the ratio, that we do start to worry a little bit about it. And 247 gets down there where you, you got to start thinking about that. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say to Joel. I think that's a little aggressive on a 10-speed. I mean, in, like, New Jersey and Pennsylvania, some of the uphill starts you have in some of these small towns, like, I was fully loaded, and, uh, yeah, she had a little bit of a hard time. I stalled out once in a year, basically, just, I don't know, just that's all that happened. Um, but other than that, I haven't really had, like, startability issues, but I think if I would have dropped it to, like, a 247, that might have been a little too aggressive. But so then again, this is one, a D-Deck 4. Yeah, one of the things that I think people need to be aware of, so when we talk about ratio changes and we talk about running in direct drive and you hear me talk about downsped, um, 
when we make a ratio change and then we run in direct drive, we are not down speeding the truck. That is not down sped. All we're doing is picking up a little bit of efficiency in the transmission. And the majority, the overwhelming majority of manual transmissions with overdrive were never designed for a down sped ratio, even though you're keeping it in direct. So you're, yep. you're 100% mm-hmm. right with manual transmissions. They, they really don't have the reduction that we need, especially compared to today's automated manuals that were specifically designed for downsped ratios where, you know, I can get away with a 205 with an overdrive, which you would never be able to do with a 13 or an 18 speed. It would be just horrifically bad. The other thing that people have to keep in mind here and, and Kevin, you and Bruce were talking about this on, on the show the other day about the drive shafts. Um, I want to touch on this. If you are going to re-ratio your truck and you're going to truly downspeed it, you have to absolutely upgrade that drive shaft. Now, if you're just going to run it in direct all the, all the time, um, maybe you don't have to worry about it, but you are putting more torque down that drive line um, when you're in highway gear, and that's kind of what they look at. They, they, you're only coming up through the gears. You're only applying the torque for just a, a short period of time coming up through the gears. Then you get it into your highway gear. Um, so when you are in direct drive, you're passing torque straight through. An overdrive transmission divides torque, so you can get away with a smaller drive shaft and you have less wear with an overdrive transmission because you're cruising in overdrive dividing torque going down the drive line. When you're in direct drive, you're passing that straight through. You could have two, three, four hundred more pound feet of torque constantly going down that drive shaft, and you absolutely have to upgrade that. There's no amount of skillful driving in the world going to cancel the physics that are at work there. So, you know, Kevin, I, I, I hate to disagree with you on this one, but that needs to be done because, again, you spend all the money to do this, and then you poop a drive line out on the side of the road, you're going to have a road call, you're going to have the repair costs, you're going to have a, a late low. I mean, it, it's just all going to go wrong for you, and you're going to end up spending way more than the efficiency that you gained on the re-ratio. So I, I agree I with that, um, uh, yep. Joel, because I did notice um, running in direct some of these little uphills and stuff in Tennessee, um, the transmission temperature gain is probably about 25 degrees overall, you know, on a, on a couple legs here and there. So she does run hotter and, uh, you do feel like, uh, like I said, it is a manual, so you can feel clutches and things like that. When you're in direct, she will, uh, put some strain on it. it. It's definitely different than what it was, uh, in overdrive. Your transmission should run cooler in direct it, it, drive. That's what I was thinking. It's always been my experience. Mm-hmm. You have let, yeah. I had, I had talked with the folks at Eaton about this. Um, I had a big blow up in social media, and some guys were saying, "Oh, you're crazy! You don't know what you're talking about," and went into detail about power flow and gear mesh. And you know, the guys at Eaton said, "Look, there are some lubrication challenges with that transmission." And there are a whole lot more gears moving in that transmission. So that may or may not be the case. Um, and it, it really, the differentials you know, run cooler. That is true. But the training does uh, heat up a lot quicker. 
do you are your thermostatically controlled or is it just plain a cooler on your truck? Just plain cooler. Yeah, just the the I shift is actually thermostatically controlled, and it it will want to build heat sometimes to maintain the op um, optimal efficiency, and thereby warming the oil up. So um, that's why I ask in the question if you have a thermostatic control on it. Um, that could be could have been why, but if you're just a straight cooler, um, you know, hard to say. Uh, I, I do know with the older manual transmissions, the dual counter shafts, you've just got a whole lot of stuff going on in there, and they are not always optimal for efficiency. It's why we're seeing the entire industry, you know, kind of get away from the that auxiliary section that has the two shafts back there, and they're going to a planetary um, Eaton's automated manual. They maintain the dual counter shaft, but they went to helical cut gears and they made them smaller and they improved the lubrication system on it. So they've got a very good transmission nowadays as well. The the Detroit and the Volvo are both single counter shafts with planetaries in the back. Um, so completely different transmissions. And that's another thing, you know, when you're talking about ratio changes and getting the most bang for your buck out of it, um, you're going to tend to see a bigger bang for your buck on the newer equipment with these extreme downsped ratios. The engine power curve is designed to work with it, and the the entire driveline all works in coordination. They all talk to each other, and, and you get much more bang for your buck. You get some of this older legacy technology, and you think, well, I'm just going to do exactly what those guys are doing with that new stuff. It doesn't always work well. Good point. Tim, yeah. anything else? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, the reason I called, I wanted to touch base on this electric stuff, you know, with with all the experts on here today. Um, my thought, to be honest with you, from everything that's been going on, and there's a couple of issues, um, I really think that this whole thing's a fad. And the government, the only reason it's lasted this long is just because of the government incentives to keep it going, to be honest with you. Um, I, I, you I know, think like the opposite. Lucid, for example. I, I actually think the opposite. You, that it's, you think the opposite. Yeah, that it's not a fad at all. That our future is electric rather than internal combustion, but I think the government is going to screw it up and set it back about a decade, maybe even more. I think if they would just let the free market do it, um, we would get to good electric technology sooner then if we force it with all these tax credits, there will be scams. There will be companies formed just to grab the tax money, and then they go out of business. This happens every time. It happened with solar. When Obama was in office, all the big solar companies took all that money, didn't develop much of anything. Yeah, and, it happened and, with Nikola. And then went out of business. But, but I believe that this is not a fad at all. Electric vehicles are not going away. We will have more electric vehicles every year from now on. And at some point, unless some other technology comes up, which it may well, um, we will end up with at some point there will be a tipping point. We'll have more electric vehicles than internal combustion engines. So I don't think it's a fad. I think it's still a couple decades away. And I think the government's going to push it even further out because they're going to screw it up. Well, I mean, if you look at the battery uh, consumption that they need, you know what I mean, to, to create batteries and all that, they're saying there's not even enough lithium 
well, in the well, world. It, hey, Tim, it's stop what right there. On batteries. That anybody who talks about lithium as the problem doesn't understand this. We're not going to stick with lithium. Lithium is not a good technology. Yeah. We, we need to get past that technology. It's barely workable to, in today's world on the road. It's got several setbacks. And so lithium is not the future. It's heavy. So to focus on lithium no, and I, say we don't I, have I, enough, yeah. that, that misses the whole point. We need a solid state battery is what we need. And we'll get one. We understand the technology. We're working on it. Solid state batteries will be much, much lighter, charge much faster, have more capacity. But the other technology we're working on really either minimizes the need for batteries. We're looking at charging from the road. If you're able to charge from roads and parking lots, you just pull into a parking spot and your vehicle starts charging. I mean, that that's all feasible then you don't need nearly as much it's battery feasible, capacity. It's feasible, but it's not practical. Well, why is it not you practical? Know, How do I you know to, that? Well, because I've talked to, um, went to a couple of dealerships out in some of the uh, western states, you know, and uh, for example, like GM is forcing some of these car dealerships to install charging stations because they want to, you know, broaden their network. And these guys are telling me, like, yeah, we had the space allocated for it. We called the, the city to get the permit, and they shut us down. I said, why? What happened? So, well, they said if we put in six charging stations, uh, the community behind us, the housing community, will be without power. So, Tim, but, but, <laughs> so but, the but you're talking not about there. something that can be fixed. There's no reason we can't, can't generate enough power. So to say it's not practical isn't true. It is practical. We need to get government regulations out of the way to produce more power. But but all of these things yeah, that I've heard, why electric aren't isn't going to happen, they can all be solved. Right. They can all be solved in the same world. And our world is insane with government intervention, wars, and, you know, everybody looking out for their selves, basically, at this point, you know. So I don't see a, a collaboration. You know, we don't have that kind of deal where back, you know, World War II, everybody got together, went secretive. We had the Manhattan Project. We built the nuke. Everything was on the up and up. You know, it was a collective between government, private sector. Everybody, you know, kind of worked together on that. We don't have that to push this technology forward. You know, we're electricity. Remember, electricity hey, is the worst form of energy hey. to create torque. But, you know, hold on, because I, I don't believe we need government for these big projects. It, t here's one example. We don't. Here, here's one example. Look at what, uh, you know, we always brag about NASA. Oh, my God, they put a man on the moon. They did it. They still can't land their own damn rockets. We waste rockets out in the ocean, totally millions of dollars. And one guy comes along and solves that problem. And he puts rockets up into space constantly now. He's putting hundreds and thousands of satellites up in space, and he can launch. He can reland his rocket launchers. That was a private person that did yep. that. We don't need government to do these things anymore. But government's in the way. And uh, they absolutely. Want, they want so that's been my point from the beginning. Get government out of the way. There's nothing wrong with yep. the electric technology, and it's coming. It's not a fad. That that's my opinion anyway. It, it's coming. Yeah, but it's going to be a while. 
It's going to be a long while. Now, did you hear the latest on this too simple thing, the autonomous? Uh, How they're pretty much done? No, I haven't heard that. Yeah, they had an accident, basically got, you know, what they do is they test these things on open highways and uh, two guys in a truck. Uh, the driver goes over, I guess, to push the autonomous button to, uh, you know, to activate autonomous mode. As soon as he pushes the button, the truck just, you know, steering wheel cuts left and flies into the uh, median wall. So what? It just, just saying that, you know, that it what? failed. And um, now they got FMCSA and so, NHTSA at their hub basically trying to figure out how they're going to keep testing these things. You know? Why not just keep testing them? Human beings killed 100 people on the highway yesterday. They'll kill 100 more people on the highways today. So we killed a couple more in an autonomous no, vehicle. Big deal. Right. Well, big deal. But the thing is, you remember autonomous technology and human beings can't be on the road together. So it's either one or the other. Why can't they? They're on the road today and we're safer because of it. Automatic. I wish somebody would put out a statistic on how many lives automatic braking has saved so far. That's an autonomous technology. Lane guidance, all kinds of cars have it already. It's already making the road safer. We can have mixed. Oh, we the can lane have, guidance stuff. We can have human beings and autonomous technology on the road. Who says we can't? No, I'm saying fully autonomous, like, you know, no steering wheel type of autonomous. Like, you can't have those vehicles running around with people still driving with steering wheels. Why not? Well, because you have what's called an emotion factor that an autonomous vehicle doesn't have. So people get emotional and they drive with emotion where a robot is all about zeros and ones. But if there's a three that comes up, he can't compute that. I, I have no you idea what, what that means. Okay, I'll give you an example. So, and basically the way a computer works, you understand it's all zeros and ones. So it's either yes or no, right? So when you come up to, let's say, a hairpin turn or whatever, it could be a deer, it could be um, uh, a downed tree, or it could be a person. That robot needs to distinguish what it is, and then if there's a car next to him, he needs to evaluate, do I go in the ditch because there's four kids in that car, or do I hit him? Okay. Because he doesn't have enough time to stop. Okay. So you program that. So... You add, you add a couple you more can. ones and zeros, and you account for that. No, that, it's, that's going to be a while. That, it, it, I, that, I, I can't it, see that. You that can't technology already like that. exists. It's not going to be a while. That, that's not our issue with autonomous. The technology already exists. It, it, let me ask you a question, because this I, I ask people all the time, and nobody has an answer. We kill 100 people a day, roughly, on the highways right now because of human failure. That's the only reason for every crash on the road today. Some human failed somewhere. Somebody didn't fix the brakes right. Somebody wasn't paying attention. Every single crash is human failure in one form or another. Let's say we could put autonomous technology on the road today and we'd only kill 50 people a day. That would be the biggest improvement in safety ever and we won't do it. 
because we'd freak out about the yeah, 50 people that, that got killed overall. and ignore the 50 that lived. No, you would have to do it overall, like across the board. You know what I mean? So you would have to get every car off the road. No, you don't have to, Tim. You're, you're, and then- Tim, you're missing the reality of what's happening right now. Too Simple and other companies have been run fully autonomous trucks on the road for a couple of years now. I, Kevin, I've been on the road way more in the past, you know, five years than you have. So, I mean, I'm sure I've seen way more driving. But what I'm trying to tell you is this technology is not ready for prime time. Okay. Nobody said it and was. There's still a lot of issues. How, how do you yeah, get it ready for prime time without putting it out on the road and testing it? You do it. Well, you do. I agree. You have to put it on the road and test it. But the issues that they're having now, you know, with like camera systems well, and things like that, you could do that on a test track. I mean, I could walk into and, any and, Nikola, and Tim, they're doing, or too they're simple doing and tell millions you everything of miles on test it. tracks at the same time. Everything you're saying is already but they're happening. Not, no, it's not because the failures that we're seeing are literally kindergarten failures. You know, the camera systems on these trucks are horribly mounted. They're horribly installed. You know, you got wires dangling. You put that truck through Montana mountains, it, it'll be in the ditch. It won't even make it because the wiring, all that, the rock salt debris, everything that goes on, that stuff will deactivate automatically. You'll have to Bullshit, take over and Tim. manually drive the Tim, truck. Tim, come on. Look at how complicated no, our trucks telling. are currently with sensors and wiring and 37 computer modules, and they drive through this stuff. And, and they're always time. having problems. No, yeah. they're not, Tim. And they're These always trucks having... are, are far more trouble-free than they've ever been. I disagree with you on that. You go to a dealership and look. How so, many of these 2020s are in there for computers, computers? So computers. all we can do at this point you is, can't it's, even, it's, all we can do at this point is agree to disagree. You believe that electric isn't going to happen. It's a fad and autonomous isn't going to happen either. No, not in the next decade. No way. Well, nobody's ever put a time no. limit on it. When I talk about this, I'm going to cut you loose. I never put a time limit on it. I've never said it's going to happen, but both of them are already happening. That's part of this argument, too. There are electric trucks on the road currently. There are electric tr- cars, lots of them. There are many companies testing autonomous. When you said too simple is done, um, I, I'm going to go see if that's the case or not. I had no idea that one accident or one death or two deaths would put these companies out of business. I, I, but if that's the case, I'll go see if that's true. Let's, uh, let's go to North Carolina. Stephen, welcome to the program. Uh, Kevin, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Uh, I hope you won't mind my accent. I'm still trying to learn English. Um, it's not your accent, I think, that's going to be the problem. Your your voice is really, really muffled. Like, it's not very clear. Uh, let me get out of the... Can you hear me clear now? That's a little better. Go ahead. We'll give it a shot. Uh, okay, uh, I uh, get a, upgraded my truck, second truck, but I screwed up the spec. I'm trying to see how I can salvage the situation. I'm a car holder. 
Uh, I have gone from Kenworth, it cars to Volvo, because I get something into this Volvo thing. I screwed up the spec. The RPM is running so I didn't know that a less than 80 years truck can be expected on running on 55 miles per hour. So that's the situation I'm in now. <clears throat> I'm trying to see. Somebody was telling me that if I can change the size of the dry tires, that I can pick up some kind of lower RPM with more speed. What so tire I'm trying size to see your right opinion now? about. I have a 19.5. So they were telling me if I can get up to like a 22.5. It will be somehow lower and pick up some speed and the and so the, the is, power. That is true. If you put a bigger tire on, you lower the RPM. Changing a tire is just like changing a gear. Um, we have the same effect. Okay. That doesn't always mean that it's going to improve fuel economy. Yeah, right now I have a horrible fuel economy because I run uh, between sixty to. 64 all the time. Then my RPM is always on between 15 and 1600 RPM all day. So, and that wasn't, that is all the fun for me. So, so what, what, right so, now I, I, eh? hold on, let, let's talk about a couple things. That RPM is, is way too high, but I don't know that changing the tire size is, is going to be the answer. It's not always a slam dunk. What gear ratios in this truck? Uh, 305, paper, I mean, I mean, 308. And the uh, I shift. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a direct drive. Direct drive. It's a 12 speed uh, auto shift. Uh, I never really go deep. I have the truck for like two months now. Never go deep into knowing whether the 12 gear is a, a, a overdrive or direct. So the two options I'm looking at is either changing the drive line, I mean the rear end or the size of the tire. I'm trying to seek your opinion, whichever which one can lower that RPM to like 13 or 14 at 65 miles per hour. Well, if you're a car hauler, yeah. can you even put a bigger tire on there? Most of them have the 19.5s on there for a reason. It's clearance. Right. They need to be low, so so you put a big tire on there. You're probably not going to be able to put a car up top. I, I'm I'm assuming that would be my my first thought. So it's about gear ratio. And did you say you have a two o eight or a three o eight? Three o eight. Three o three o eight. Okay, so no, it, you, you, right. So this is going to be a gear ratio change and yes. not a tire change, most likely. And it's in a car hauler, so this is going to be a VGT engine. It won't be the TC. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming you're in a VAH. Is that what that truck yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. VAH. Okay. Yeah. So it's going to probably you're probably going to go to 264 on this, and they have the programming for that transmission. If it if it is an see overdrive. I'm driving right now, so I can't do the math. I'm trying to run it in my head. You're between, what'd you say, 16 and 17 
At 65? Yeah, at 65 is on the uh, sixteen hundred RPM. Then at 64 is, is, is in 15 and a half. So I'm trying wow. to see if I can, what I can get in, in 13 or 14 at 65 miles. Okay, so here's, here's what they're going to do. Um, you, you would do a tractive effort calculation, and we would need to know how much horsepower is required to pull your load with your aerodynamics, and then we got to line up the horsepower curve of the engine to make sure at cruise speed, if you drop your RPM, you're still going to be able to pull the load. Um, when you get very dirty aerodynamics like you have, it requires quite a bit more horsepower to, to pull that, that 80,000 pounds versus what I would have to do in a van trailer. So uh, my, my thought is without doing any calculations and, and obviously don't take this to the bank. My thought is, is that you're going to go to 264. Um, it may be 279 and you're probably still going to have the horsepower to do what you need to do. Um, okay. but the, the dealers should be able to throw you on a, on a computer and do the attractive effort calculation of Volvo dealer and give you the optimal ratio, um, for that application. So you uh, should be able to go right back to a Volvo dealer and say, Hey, look, I want to re-ratio this. And, and, um, they should have that tool, um, to do that tractive effort calculation. And they have the, um, the uh, aerodynamic baseline for an auto hauler and they should be able to throw all that together with your tire size and spit you out the optimal ratio to re-ratio that truck. Oh, all right. Okay. So because I get uh, like uh, one of my buddy is using the same Volvo running 72 miles per hour at uh, a 1400 RPM. The, the tire size is a little bit bigger than mine. So, so he's, uh, he's what, probably running what, a 264, most likely. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure about the gear issue. He's running on there. I will. I will check, as you said, to, from the dealer around here to see whatever they can come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah 308. It, mm. 308 is a 55 mile an hour gear set in a Volvo. That's where you're going to get the best efficiency with a 308 yeah. and it's going to, it's going to balance your horsepower and your efficiency pretty good at 55, um, 279. It's probably going to put you in that 62 to 63 mile an hour range. 264 is going to put you 65 to 70 mile an hour range. 247 is going to put you, you know, 70 to 72. Um, you probably are not going to meet the startability requirement with 247. If the transmission's in overdrive, which I think it is, um, so you're going to be 264, 279, most likely a dealer can confirm that if you go into a dealer and tell them what you've got, say you want to re-ratio it, this is the speed I want to run and at what RPM, and they'll be able to, they'll be able to spit you out that number exactly. But, um, my gut feeling here and I'm driving or I do the numbers for you, but you're going to be 264, 279. I'm pretty confident. Yeah. Okay. Joel, the deal from this, from this uh, is one of those. Okay, ahead, agree, this one needs a gear ratio change. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. With the with the tire size that that you have, and there's some some different things going on here, and it, it's definitely going to require a gear ratio change, no doubt. Okay. 
That's what I'm trying to say. Do you, from the experience you have from others, do you have idea like a cost estimate of the gear ratio? And the housing, if my housing can take that uh, 264, you are talking I, about. I'm, I'm going to assume you have a Meritor housing in there. That's generally what Volvo uses, but you'll have to identify if you've got a Dana or a Meritor in there and then what model it is. Um, most likely it's a Meritor. I can't remember their nomenclature right off the top of my head. But if it is a Meritor, it should be fairly easy to find a 250 or a 264 um, axle mm-hmm. set used. Some people just rip it out and replace housings and everything. Some people just they rebuild it and do the gear sets. Uh, find out from a local shop. Um, a lot of these salvage yards that you know specialize in truck mm-hmm. parts, they will actually rebuild the the gears for you and whatnot. Get some pricing on it. Um, I've seen guys do this relatively cheap, you know, under $3,000, and I've seen guys pay $13,000 using all new parts. So it's going to be all over the board. Myself personally, I would not be afraid of um, used gear sets um, at all. Uh, I've done this in the past, and I've never had any issues with them as long as they're installed correctly. Um, I, I would, in your case, I would probably do this sooner rather than later because you really are gear bomb with that three three oh eight with that tire size. That's what I'm I'm dealing with right now because this job with fifty five miles an hour is gonna cost me a lot of money. Hello? I'm here. Hello. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, I, I hear you. I would I, I would try what you said. Uh, I don't know, you suggested about a local guy drilling on Volvo right here in High Point in North Carolina. I don't know if he, he have an idea if he does such a thing or have to go and check. Uh, if you're asking me, is there a shop in High Point that will do that? Is that what you want to know? You already said that on show, but I've never been there for one time, but I'm trying to see if you are familiar with the guy doing the job over there, if he can do such a thing. Yeah, there's, um, oh, shoot, what's the guy's name there in High Point? Um, oh, I'm drawing a blank, but there, there is a shop there in High Point, um, Bankston um, is his last name. And and he can do that re-ratio for you, for sure. Okay. If you can get to a dealer and get the exact ratio that you're going to need, and, and like I said, I'm I'm fairly, I'm fairly confident it's going to be 264, 279. But just have them confirm it that that's the ratio you're going to need. And then Clint Bankston is the guy's okay. name that runs that shop, and uh, he can he can most likely re-ratio that for you. All right, appreciate that. Thank you. That's all I sure. All right. Thanks for the call. Sure. Let's uh, let's go to New York this time. Jack, welcome to the program. Yeah, I'd like to talk about. Uh, I I don't know if Henry's still on the line. Uh, no, Henry had to leave us. No, no. Yeah, I was, you know, I, I I heard you know a couple of weeks ago with Mark Ratz on there about the Mirai system. You know, it was just, uh, you know, I, I I was in a truck for three years with the Mirai system from, the, uh, you know, 2018 to 2021. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, like, 
I went through all the all the changes of uh, you know from really nothing to to what it is today. And uh, I just like to hear more feedback about you know camera systems or what. And uh, you know I know he's interested in getting the mirrorized system. And uh, there's also another system out there that actually Mercedes has, which is uh, um, <clears throat> the Lang version of, uh, it's called MirrorCam, and uh, that's been in place for, you know, quite a few years. So, uh, you know, I was wondering, you know, like instead of, you know, since Mercedes is affiliated with Freightliner, that, you know, maybe maybe some of you might try a new technology other than the MirrorEye, too. So, that's, I, you know, that's I, cool. I personally have looked at this, um, and you know, some of the fleets that I benchmark with, um, several of them have it uh, and opinions are all over the board on this. I, you know, I know we hear from some owner operators that they absolutely love it and that they say that they're seeing huge fuel efficiency gains on it where some of the fleets I talk to are saying they're not seeing any gains on it and half the drivers can't stand it. So, I'm I'm kind of torn on this one still. I'm I'm doing homework and just kind of watching how this thing develops to to see how things are going to go. Um, eventually, are we going to be all cameras all the time? Probably. Um, I think we're going to see a combination of smaller mirrors with cameras for quite a while. Honestly, um, I, I think that's probably how this is going to go. Um, so I I'm kind of kind of just watching and waiting and um i like the idea of it you know taking the mirrors off you think that you're going to see a a pretty decent reduction in drag but uh it doesn't seem to always be the case there's actually a couple fleets that said that it's minimal to nothing um that i've talked to so um they weren't going to go ahead and invest in it because it's just an upcharge they said they didn't need and for for no real real gain in fuel efficiency so I guess we'll yeah, see how this all plays out. Yeah, that's basically what happened with the, you know, particularly large large corporation that I did work for. They they opted out on uh, putting it into place because most of the trucks were slip seated. So like you know, like if one person got in the truck that wasn't acclimated with the with Mirai system, that you know they wouldn't even know how to drive the truck. But you know, I mean. Basically, basically, it's you know like like Mark Mark actually said like you know like you know it's no different than you know a typical outside mirror that you have. It's just you know I just gotta you know know how to operate it. And of course, sure. you know the, the company didn't the company didn't invest the time to show any other people how how it works. But you know, like I say, I I started off back in in uh, September of uh, eighteen with the truck, and I mean it was. It was false from the beginning, you know, I mean, for, you know, I think I went through like six different camera changes, you know, for upgrades on it by the time I actually got out of the truck. And uh, so, I mean, the technology is great. I mean, it's like, you know, like, you know, snow or rain, you know, it's like, you know, like you, the visual part of it is like, you know, like, like you're driving with the sun up, you know. It's just great. Yep. And, uh, of course, you know, I also got used to going around corners. You know, you know where I could actually see my tandems on the ground on my trailer. That you know, I didn't have to you know steer the truck around the corner. I could steer the truck around by looking in the camera and looking at my tandems. 
you know, which is a gotcha. huge savings because, you know, you don't have to worry about hitting anything. Like, you know, like once you're, once you make that right or left hand turn, I mean, you get that blind spot in your regular mirror that you can't even see your trailer. I mean, you either got to look out of your, you know, your window or, you know, you got to try and uh, figure out, you know, you know, are you ready to hit something where, you know, with the camera system, you can actually see it. So, and then, you know, of course the night vision was awesome because, uh, you know, there's so many infrareds on it that, you know, it's like, you know, it's almost like a clear picture, but, you know, of course, Mark was, Mark was also talking about, um, you know, how he's trying to get a little brighter back on his tail end, which, you know, I'm sure that would be the case because, uh, you know, when I first got in that truck, you know, supposedly they had distant markers that they eventually put on, on the, in the mirror to show your wow. distance because, you know, your camera, camera perception is different than mirror perception. So, you right. know, so, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of things to get acclimated to, but once you get acclimated to it, you know, there's no problem, you know, because, you know, I was actually able to, you know, uh, pass vehicles and pull back in without even the distant lines in it, you know, which, yeah, which was okay. But, Definitely but like I say, technology. Right. But, but also like, I, like I say, you know, since he's got the Freightliner, you know, like, like I say, Mercedes Actros, you know, that, you know, the cab over that's out in the UK, they're, they've been using it for like, like five or six years. So, uh, and that's a macro lane mirror. Uh, you know, that, that, uh, also the company that I work for also eventually had four co-stars fitted with it, but you know, nobody liked the technology, so they just stopped using them. So, so, you know, I just, you know, like, like the other caller was also stating that like, you know, like about autonomous vehicles, you know, there's so much more that, you know, like the autonomous vehicles are using the same technology or your own technology. You know, one of my points was going to be that all of the autonomous testing going on will advance the cameras over mirrors a lot faster than anything else would because autonomous vehicles aren't going to use mirrors. They're going to use cameras. They use cameras for a lot of things. Cars are already using cameras to read road signs, to read where the line is on the road. Uh, The camera technology is going to advance pretty quickly as part of all of this autonomous. True, true. And, you know, of course, you know, the other section of Freightliner is Torque Robotics, which, you know, they're doing autonomous vehicles too, and they have their own camera system too. So I'm I'm not really too sure, you know, eventually if, uh, you know, Mercedes or Freightliner comes out with their own system too, you know. So uh, yeah, I just, you know, I just thought I'd share, you know, my experiences and I got more more things to talk about, you know, you know, in the upcoming months or years that you might be talking about this technology. So yeah, well, I thought I'd just share that. Yep. I appreciate it. We're going to be talking about this a long time. Hey, hey, Joel, how much money do you think is being spent around the world right now on electric and autonomous for vehicles? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's it's mind-boggling. I mean, even if we knew the number, it would be meaningless. It would be so big. Here's the thing we have to think of. Do we really believe that all of those companies are wrong and these two technologies are just fads and they're going to go away? 
they are they are not wrong. It is not going to go away. And um, the skeptic in me likes to say, okay, why do they want to push this autonomous so hard? It, you know, it's kind of like electric vehicles. It, it becomes, there's definitely a control component to this. The people that control the autonomous vehicles are going to control everything. Um, same thing with the electric, you know, the, the, co- yep. the combination of the two, an autonomous electric vehicle, the guy that has his finger on the, on the button, and now one guy is going to control 500 or 1,000 trucks or whatever the number is. And uh, if he's having a bad day, he can make your day real bad. Um, <laughs> I, I did, that part of it just kind of scares me in a way, but uh, I guess we'll figure, figure ways to deal with that. So let's let's think about something for just a minute. Let's try to put aside all of our biases around all of this and our fears or whatever they are. Um, we have a hard time with this as Americans, I think, and people our age, you and I, have a really hard time with this because we grew up in a car culture. Everything was about having mm-hmm. your car, right? I mean, didn't you grow up that same way? Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. was about the car. Yeah. Yep. We, we yep, and, you know, we commute over an hour. People do that. That's insane to me. We eat in our cars. I mean, we, we love our cars. We're a car culture. So we have a hard time getting our head around this. But let's think about how wasteful a car is. How often do you really use it out of the 24 hours? Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah, it's, when when you look at it from that that point you know, of view, we, yes, it's a huge investment that you hardly ever use. And um, so we have to go no buy doubt. it. We can't afford it, so we have to finance it, which makes it even more expensive. Takes more money out of our pocket. We have to maintain it. We have to build a garage to park it in. We have to repair it. We have to keep putting fuel in it, and it sits there ninety percent of the time doing nothing. It's the second biggest purchase we'll probably ever make. Our home, at least we spend, you know, half to three quarters of our every day in our home using it. But the car, not so Mm -hmm. much. And think of what we, you Mm -hmm. know, if we want to go back to the environment, not just the pollution of using a whole bunch of vehicles, but building them, transporting them, transporting all the parts to build them, all the work that goes into repairing them, all the work that goes into creating parts to repair them. That's hard on everything in the environment where in, in an autonomous world, and, and I know this is the worst industry to talk about this because this technology is putting our people out of business. I get that. But just look at cars mm-hmm. for a second. It, you could probably get to the point where one vehicle handles four or five families. Uh, yeah, most most likely. Where you, you I, could, but uh, I don't have to have a again, car you gotta, sitting in my garage waiting to go somewhere. Just similar to Uber and Lyft. Now there's a bunch of autonomous cars running around all over the roads, and all I do is open up my app, and one shows up. Right. Yeah. No. I I I, I get that, and, and I understand that, and and there's something to be said for that i just always worry about the whole who's in control that ultimately of, of all this stuff yeah. and that scares the hell out of me when when somebody's controlling your food your medicine um 
yeah, I, I, <laughs> computers are not patriotic. They're not going to go out there and do the things that need to when it doesn't make sense. You know, it's it's whose fingers on the button of of that grid or of the autonomous system and. And, uh, you know, what happens if it gets hacked into by the, the, the Chinese or the Russians uh, on any given day? And, you know, they shut down all the trucks running into New York City for a week. What's going to happen? It's, uh, that, that's going to be tough. It is tough. There's no doubt. You know what? I, I'm almost, boy, I, I'm so torn. I think this is going to sound bizarre because I'm talking about, you know, a future of, you know, where you don't own a vehicle. They just show up when you want one. But if I could choose, I, I would probably go backwards instead. Um, I, I'd rather go back to a simpler <laughs> life without all of this crazy technology. Um, I, I just, the odd, that's just never going to happen. That, that's not a reality. The reality is we're going right. to have autonomous right. vehicles. We're going to have electric vehicles. We're going to have more crazy technology. That's what we've got to face. That's coming. I, I, in a lot of ways, I wish it wasn't. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's just all stuff that we have to really think about. And and again, I am not opposed to any of this stuff, but I, I am always looking really hard at the downsides of everything. Because the one thing that I learned spec with a spec that I thought was just wonderful and great, and then I'd take it in and I'd talk to my brother and sister-in-law about it, and they'd slap me around 15 different ways with it, and <laughs> then I'd have to go back to the drawing board and, you know, try and get it right. And right. so that's kind of how I, I look at stuff like this now. So let's find out everything we can think of that could possibly go wrong with it and try to address that stuff instead of getting it out in the marketplace and trying to figure it out once it's deployed, because then it becomes extremely problematic. And that's why you're, you'll hear this a lot from me, you know, stuff about, you know, just think about that for a second. Any major metropolitan area, think about it. Somebody hacks into an autonomous truck system or hacks into the power grid and shuts everything down for a week. What happens? So for, forget the you know, autonomous for a second. That's, that's bad. <laughs> yeah. Forget the autonomous for a second. The electrical grid... That could happen now. And the the prediction is sure. thousands, tens of thousands of people could die within a couple of days if this happened. In fact, we just had the incidents in North Carolina, small scale, but they were trying to disable power stations. And it didn't make the national news, I don't think, the North Carolina story did. But at the same time, right, I live in a small town, a thousand people. We have our own power. When I was on city council, that was our mm -hmm. biggest responsibility. We had to manage the power. We had to hire all the people to run the power company, the linesmen. We had to set prices. We buy the power from a mile down the river from the dam, and somebody attacked that infrastructure, tried to take it out. Mm -hmm. They have well, people in, with high-powered rifles shooting out transformers, and, and our grid is pretty sure. susceptible to that kind of stuff. Sure. The other thing I always kind of thought about was, okay, let's say a major hurricane's coming in, going to hit a major a Miami, and they want to evacuate the city, and we're all electric at that point. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> does everybody go out and charge the car up at the same time? How does that work? You know, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. You know, I, I don't know. I just, you know, you get thinking about these scenarios, and you your mind gets working on it, and, and uh, these are definitely things that need to be thought about and addressed um, before there's a 
a full scale rollout. And like you said, the government tends to screw this shit up really bad. And, and we're looking down the barrel of that right now. So, um, it's, it's just generally why I sound kind of negative on it. I'm really not, but I want to put out what, what the, the, the cons of this could be. Yeah. So I, I agree. And it, so since you're worried about those technologies, let me throw one out that I think is even far more scary and almost nobody is talking about it. And there were just a couple major breakthroughs with it recently. Um, the the technology that scares me far more than electric or autonomous is AI. Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, they just brought out that. that I, chat, I've been reading some stuff on that. And yeah. The 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 couple of chatbots that have come out recently, like you can go create an account at Chat GDP and. You can ask, it's hard to get your head around, but you can go to this site now and you can say, I want you to design the perfect diet for a person that has these issues. And it will create Uh an entire meal plan for a month if you want it to. I mean, it's crazy. And there are no human beings doing this. They, they, they are now setting up these artificial intelligence chat bots and you can go ask them to write a poem about, you know, shifting 18 gears a day and it will write a poem for you. And it, there are no humans doing this. Wow. Gotcha. And every time somebody gotcha. asks it something and then responds, was this right? It learns. Ah, that's kind of scary. Exactly. Yeah. That's you say that in an ominous way, it learns that that's pretty damn scary when you really sit and think about it. Yep. And it, it seems so benign, you know, it's learning from a poem or it's learning from this or it's learning. That's pretty damn scary when you really stop to think about it because, uh, that's foundational intelligence and, and, uh, that could become, that could become very problematic without some controls on that stuff in a big hurry. That, that's where I don't think people understand what artificial intelligence is. This isn't a computer that we programmed to do all of these things. That, that would be really uh, almost impossible. It would take so much input. We're not programming this computer, this chatbot, to do what somebody just asked it to do. Over time, it learns how to do it. Yeah, that that is that's pretty damn scary. Yeah, it is. That's it the technology is. I'm more worried uh-huh. about than anything. <laughs> yeah, that stuff would give you nightmares if you really stop and think about that. Yeah, and oh yeah, yeah. And, I don't I don't need any more to think about. <laughs> this is how these autonomous vehicles are going to get better much faster. They are using artificial intelligence. So when they make a mistake, they yes, learn. yes, yes, that is, that is correct. I, we kind of see some, it's not really true artificial intelligence, but like in, in the transmissions, they, they kind of learn right. as they're going down the road. Um, they get better and better. So yeah, that, that stuff is, is hitting the transportation world as well. Yeah. So no doubt it's going to be pervasive. It's going to be everywhere. And, and, um, you're right. It it does. It seems very benign right now, but, uh, when you learn from little things like that, you start 
storing that in a memory because they don't forget. No. That's the... They don't. That's what's scary about that. They do not forget. And once they've learned a lesson, they've learned a lesson. So, um, wow, that is scary. Yeah. All right. So um, I'm looking at the schedule for the next two weeks, and I just made an executive decision. I'm going to take Friday off for the next two weeks. Gotcha. Because we have nothing wrong with that. So. I I may record something for those Fridays. I'm not sure. I may just take the time off and, you know, just chill a bit because I've, I've got a ton of big projects and I've got to start finishing some. Take it off, my friend. Take I think I'm off. going to. I think Might I'm just well. going to take the next couple of weeks. Take it easy. Yep. I'll do the shows the other days. I'm not going to work much more than that, I don't think. And then I'm going to come back and hit it hard and start finishing up some of these big projects. So... We'll uh, we'll take a couple weeks off on Friday, and uh, we'll talk to you again next year. Yeah, that'll give me some time to get all my my data done. You know, for the the data dump that I'm going to do on the first twenty thousand miles of the truck. So Excellent. we'll definitely have some stuff to talk about then. Perfect. All right. Awesome, Kevin. All right, Joel. Thanks as always. We'll uh, we'll do it again in a couple of weeks. We're going to wrap this up. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.